we are going to start something brand new. We just finished up our uh, our fasting series, and uh, that was pretty cool. And so fasting is um, ultimately something we do as a discipline or as a disciple. Um, as Christians, we are called to be disciples of Jesus. And so for the next year, or for the remainder of this year, I should say, uh, we're going to look at everything that we are to be doing as disciples of Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciplined one, uh, a person that follows after Jesus Christ? It seems like a very simple question. Um, and most simple questions, when you um, go to answer them, sometimes y y you answer incompletely, or you realize, you know, I, I got an understanding of that word, but I don't, I don't truly know what it means. So we're going to look at what it what it uh, means to be a disciple, and being a disciple comes at a great cost. And, and all of us here, uh, for the most part, know that. But on the opposite side of that, there's also great re reward. There's great reward for following Jesus, being like Jesus. Um, some would tell you it's not right to follow Jesus for the reward. Um, I would agree that I think that if you're going to choose one way or the other, you know, don't do it for the reward. But we can do so with the understanding that there is a great reward. I mean, we, we could come to a place where... We just do it because we love Jesus. That's great. But we can also know that Jesus loves us. And we're going to talk about how in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews says that it's impossible to please God without faith and believing that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so it's not just an expectation of being rewarded. It's the understanding that there is a reward to be had and then then identifying what the Lord means by a reward. So we're going to open with a word of prayer. And then we're gonna we're gonna go right into it. Tonight's sort of an intro, so it's just kind of talking about the idea of discipleship, being a disciple, and in the following weeks and months we're gonna talk about specific uh, marks of discipleship. So let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you, thank you that it was warmer today. Thank you that uh, that winter is is one day closer to being over. And while it's been one of the longest, hardest, and coldest winters we've had in some time, Lord, every winter. Every winter ends and then spring comes. And I thank you, Lord, that that metaphorically speaking, the winter of this life will one day come to an end and it will it will blossom into the spring of eternal life with you forever. And I just look forward to that day, Lord, where there will be no more suffering, there will be no more sickness, there'll be no more illness, there'll be no more distance between you and you and us. There'll be no more driveways uh, driveways to shovel or cars getting stuck. There'll be no more reports of cancer and no more no more calls about this person or that person dying. The word says that you you will be our God. We will be your people. That your Son Jesus will light the very uh, the, the very world that we will occupy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We we are doing all that we can and 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 literally begging for the Holy Spirit to to increase our belief to put all of our eggs into that basket, Lord. That we would have a faith that that can move mountains. A faith that is even bigger than a mustard seed, Lord. That we may believe in Jesus, follow him, and make him our all in all. We give you the praise tonight, Lord. Help me as I preach uh, out of your word to take some of the most complex, difficult, challenging scriptures and simply just, just proclaim them. We give, you the, we give you the praise tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm.
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That that is absolutely, absolutely. It's I know what you're talking about. It's very not discouraging. That's not the right word. It's just troubling to hear about what's happening to these folks, and then um, to know it's not because they're doing anything wrong. It's simply because because they're standing up for the name of Jesus. But you realize, like you said, their reward now is dancing on streets of gold before their Creator in a place that we're we're we are longing for whether we acknowledge it or not we're longing for that so that reward in and of its huh absolutely <laughs> that's awesome all right turn to Matthew chapter 16 so I'm going to share with you uh, a few verses tonight uh, in regards to discipleship um, as you turn there, discipleship as a as a word or as an idea um, is a fairly I, I'll call it a new concept, meaning uh, it's a New Testament concept. It's not that it doesn't exist in the Old Testament; it's just somewhat different. You know, in the Old Testament Jewish culture, you would have a rabbi who would teach a young class of kids, uh, young boys, and once they got to be about the age of 12 or 13, about the time where they would be considered a man. Um, the rabbi would decide which one of his pupils would follow him into the ministry and which one of the uh, pupils weren't so good and they were going to go be a part of their father's trade or they would you know, learn something else. Um, so in that sense, the Old Testament, there is this discipleship idea. It somewhat carries over into the New Testament, but it receives a new identity in the, in the New Testament with Jesus choosing the disciples. For me, when I learned about how a rabbi chose a student to follow for life, and then the others had to go be with their father and in, in their trade. What it what it exemplified to me uh, was the greatness of Jesus just even choosing his disciples. You know, he chose from a group of men who weren't in the ministry. They were already rejected by a rabbi at some point. You know, men like Peter and Andrew, they were already doing their father's trade, and, and James and John, they were fishermen too with their dad. So they had already been uh, rejected as not being good enough for the ministry but yet Jesus comes along and and he considers them worthy he considers them good enough to be a part of his uh, class if you will to to be disciples of him in Christianity discipleship is really hard because um, where Jesus would say you know become a disciple and follow me you know we're kind of uh, stuck in the middle now as Christians we are becoming disciples while trying to make disciples. So instead of telling people to be like us, we're telling people be like Jesus. It's kind of like, look over here just long enough so I can point back to Jesus. Because if you try to follow me, I'm going to stumble at some point. I'm going to fail at some point. I'm going to say the wrong words or act in the wrong manner. And, and, and I don't want you to take your eyes off of Jesus. I want you to stay focused on him. So discipleship can be, can be tricky. Here's one of the, the first verses um, when it comes to discipleship that are very, very uh, they're tough, challenging scriptures. You know, a scripture like uh, the one in 1 John that says God is love. Like everybody loves that one. And as a preacher and a minister, you don't have to add a lot to that. Not that I add to it, but I mean, I can simply say God is love. And even, even non-believers kind of fawn over that verse. You know, oh, God is love. And it conjures up all these image and all this imagery and 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 and, and beauty and as well as it should. But Matthew chapter sixteen verse twenty four. It's Jesus speaking. He says, "Then Jesus told his disciples, 
if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's, this is, there, there's no softening or, or watering down this verse. Um, some, some people, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, will try to be Jesus' editor. You know, Jesus says something, and then they'll try to package it so it's more palatable. You know, people can can understand it, or or it'll just be softer for folks, so it won't be so uh, it won't be so challenging, or or it won't be so um, what's the word I'm looking for here, where it just kind of rubs you the wrong way. But the scriptures are, are are meant to do that. They're meant to shock you. They're meant to 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 break you out of the the mold of the world, so that we can notice the difference between the world and the Word of God and God Himself. Um, it should be challenging. Um, if we read it and we get to verses like this and it doesn't challenge us, I, I just I debate whether or not we've actually understood what Jesus has said. So Jesus takes his disciples and just basically tells them, "Look, you've got to give up everything if you if you really want to follow me." You know, praise God, He's so upfront with us. If you really want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Um. There are, are, are no limit to how many books are available on DVDs and CDs on um, on how to make your life better. And Jesus says the only way to make your life better is to give up your life. Jesus says if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you want to if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it to me. You've got to give it up to me. Uh, I read a a, a quote from um, I believe it was from Corey Ten Boom, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but basically it was. Um, don't hold on to things so tightly because uh, when you do and the Lord removes them, it's going to hurt. The idea is to try to hold everything you can that the Lord would bless you with with an open hand so that as it comes in, things come in freely. And as the Lord removes that from your life for whatever reason, uh, then then have your way, Lord. Being a disciple comes at a great cost, but it comes with a great reward as well. So first off, the word disciple, what does that mean? It comes from the word discipline. And in the widest sense of the word, it refers to accepting the teachings of somebody else. So when we get to the four Gospels, we are actually introduced to three different sets of disciples. Jesus has his disciples. John the Baptist has his disciples. And the Pharisees have their disciples. A disciple in that context was anybody who said, oh, I agree with your teaching. I agree with what you're saying, and I join myself to you under submission to you. You know, in our country, in our culture, there are Republican disciples, there are Democratic disciples, there are pro-life disciples, there are pro-choice disciples, there are disciples of all different forms of teaching, all different forms of, of, of media and entertainment. You're basically acknowledging that you agree with and come underneath the submission to whomever uh, whomever you decide to follow. So the, so the Pharisees had disciples. They had men who were following them. Jesus told them that their, that their disciples, the ones that they were uh, training up and raising up, were becoming twice the children of hell than they themselves were. Um, Jesus was pretty blunt with the Pharisees. We all enjoy that. Uh, John the Baptist, he had his disciples. 
And and once John the Baptist was imprisoned and he was about to be executed, he 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 wanted to make sure that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. You know, remember him sending sending off a messenger to Jesus. Jesus, are you truly who you say you are? And Jesus doesn't say yes or no. He just says the lame is healed, the, the blind can see, the uh, you know people are set free, the deaf can hear. Exactly. Let the works sort of speak for themselves, if you will. Um. In the book of Acts, after the death and burial, resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, the disciples mentioned in the book of Acts all pertain to those who believe in Jesus as their Messiah, Jesus as their Savior, Jesus as the Anointed One, the ones who would confess total devotion and belief in Jesus. A disciple today uh, is much like that, somebody who says Jesus is everything. Jesus is my all in all is kind of my favorite way to put it. Um, it's somebody who believes that Jesus' sacrifice is, is, is all that they need to be forgiven. That Jesus' sacrifice is the only thing that can, that can buy their forgiveness. That Jesus alone atones for sins. That his commands are to be followed. That forgiveness is found in him alone. That he is the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through him. And adopts his lifestyle or adopts his... Uh, and by lifestyle, I mean one that is empowered and led and directed completely by the Holy Spirit. We read that Jesus emptied himself of his deity to come to this earth, but then at his baptism is filled with the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that powers us today is the spirit that powered Jesus in his earthly uh, ministry. So the command is to be disciples and make disciples, to be disciplined and to dis discipline other people. Um, for me, as I look upon the church, and I, I wonder about the health of the church. You know, some people measure health by numbers. Some people help uh, measure health by how much is given. Some people measure by how much uh, you know um, attention is given to a ministry. I measure in how many disciples we're making. Um, if we have a hundred people, but we only have two disciples, we're not a healthy church. Uh, and if we have a hundred people and not everyone's a disciple, we have work to do. And so that means I have to be a disciple in, in order to make disciples. Um, the Great Commission, Jesus said, go out into all of the world, make disciples, baptize in the name of Jesus. All, all of us in this room and, and Christians in general come to Jesus, are forgiven, but that's not the end of the story. Um, Jesus doesn't just wipe our slate clean so that we can go, you know, make it dirty again. He doesn't he doesn't clean us up so we can go get dirty and roll around in the mud again, the mud of sin. He cleans us up and then empowers us so that we might forsake that life and then go through the process of sanctification through the Holy Spirit. That that through the Holy Spirit Spirit alone can we be sanctified? Um, can we be set apart for Jesus? Can we be refined and have sin purged from our lives? Romans 12 and 2 says, and, and here's a series of scriptures that, for me, are some of the most challenging of all of the Bible. I mean, even the simplest, uh, the God is love verse of 1 John, even that's challenging. I mean, it challenges your idea of love. It challenges your idea of God. Um, but, but these are some that are the most uh, simply stated, but the most challenging. It's not that they're hard to understand. They're hard to adopt. It's not, that, it's not that we're not intelligent enough to realize what Jesus is saying. 
It's realizing that what Jesus is saying is going to come at a great cost. And so Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says this is transformation, being made into something brand new. Do not oh, that's not what it says, that's my commentary. Verse 2 says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that is uh, what is good and acceptable and perfect." Do not be conformed. The Holy Spirit tells us that there is a way, there is a pattern there is an idea and, and a set of ideals that the world has, and they are they are bent on the destruction, uh, or they are meant for the destruction of people. Um, nearly everything. I mean, it's easy to get on a soapbox and just start pointing fingers at our culture, but honestly, everything in our culture is is meant to satisfy the flesh, and ultimately just destroy the person or people who engage in that thing that engage in that sin it's celebrated as okay it's celebrated as choice it's celebrated as a right and as a freedom and it's 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 suffered we suffer for those choices and, and the bible says don't be conformed to that but also don't conform to the word i think i find it interesting that the choice of words that Paul uses here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he doesn't say be conformed, don't be conformed to the world, be conformed to the Bible, or be conformed to the Word, or be conformed to Jesus. He says be transformed. You have to be changed. This is a process that that maybe in the moment to moment we don't see the change, but but over a lifetime we see how so many small choices and moments changed us completely i really love finding uh sea glass sea glass is really cool and, and and i haven't ever looked for it here at the lake but i don't even know if you'd find it but on the beaches in california you would go and you'd find sea glass and sea glass is basically broken bottles and shards of glass that were really dangerous but over time the salt and the rocks and the and the minerals of the ocean just over who knows how many how many years, maybe even decades, these shards of glass that would normally be dangerous were now smooth and round and just beautiful. And you can hold them up to the light and look through, see the brilliant, you know, the greens and the browns and the clear and and and, and the bigger the piece, the even better. Um, we're much like that sea glass. The waves of life and the waves of trial and tribulation coming back and forth over us, just taking off those edges, refining us, God using his holy fire to just uh, make us a brand new person. And in the day-to-day, -day, we don't see it. But after a lifetime, after you know decades of time, we see I, I, I'm not where I'm sh I should be, but I'm way past where I once was. The Lord tells us, be transformed how? By the renewal of your mind. Some people promote reading the Bible every day, and I think it's a good practice, and you should do so. Um, but sometimes it's just the idea that the practice will make you better. I encourage you to do that because the Lord says, renew your mind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we renew our minds with the Word of God. Um, Matthew 28 and 16, this is the... Um, this is the Great Commission. Jesus says, now, to the, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, or Jesus said to them rather, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, I think about these these 21 men who were beheaded by ISIS, and I think about the 220 Christians in Syria that were captured. And and while I don't rejoice that that has happened to them. I realize that God has given the command that even men as vile as the ones who are serving such a such a horrible wretched regime that that even they are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ whether it be through the shed blood of a believer or whether it be through the proclamation of God's word whether whether it's the example of somebody like Pastor Saeed in, in an Iranian prison uh, refusing to recant, refusing to uh, to give in to the authorities, they still are going to hear the gospel of Jesus. That Jesus has given us this command, not so that we might fail at it, but because it's going to happen. Jesus' word does not return void. He has told us to go and do something. We will go and do that thing. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Turn there. Um, and these, these scriptures come back to back. It's verses 25 through 33, but I've broken them up into two chunks because uh, I want to see them for what they are, both in context but individually as well. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. And, and for me, this is a, as a father, as a son, as a, as a minister, this is one of the hardest verses ever. And as I get older, I realize how countercultural it is uh, to our modern-day American culture. Verse 25 says, Now great crowds accompanied him. That's, that's Jesus. And he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is one of those verses where some theologians, preachers, pastors try to get all the rough edges off of this. They try to soften up Jesus' word because what Jesus has said is devastating. Modern culture, if you've got a crowd, you've got to keep your crowd. If you've got a product and a crowd wants it, you've got to keep feeding that crowd so that you keep getting the results you want, whether it's, whether it's a following, respect, whether it's uh, power or money. Don't make the crowds angry. Don't confuse them. Reach out to them. Coddle them. Entice them. Keep them wanting more. Jesus turns to a great crowd and says, unless you hate yourself, unless you hate your family, unless devotion to you makes every other relationship in your life look like hatred, then you're not worthy to be my disciple. Now, truthfully, this is a, a good scripture to kind of gnaw on for a while, the idea of, of, of this type of devotion to Jesus. Clearly, Jesus, to me, the key to this verse is when Jesus says, yes, even, even his own life. Then I understand, okay, it's the for, it's the understanding that in Jesus we find this door into the kingdom of God, but but this doorway we don't know what happens on the other side. Our devotion and following of Jesus could result in the same thing that happened to these twenty one uh, who were beheaded. For them, the cost of discipleship it, it literally cost their lives, but they were willing to do so. 
We live in a country where we have relative peace, ease when it comes to being a Christian, but I don't necessarily see that as a good thing. I see too many Christians, I see too many churches that, well, they love so many more things than Jesus first. There are times in my own life where things take the place of Jesus, where, where, where the throne of my heart's occupied by something or someone other than Jesus. We have to read these words and take stock of our lives and be honest. Do we, do we really follow Jesus with this type of devotion? He continues in verse 28, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first uh, sit down first and de uh, de deliberate 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 <laughs> will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand and if not while while the other is yet a great way off he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, look, there's going to be a cost. You have to take that into account. When Jesus gives the parable of the, of the, the sower and the seed, he says there's these, there are these people who their hearts are like the path or like the stony ground. It, the seed goes down there and it shoots up really quick. But the, the heat of the sun, the trials of life come and just kill the kill that which has been planted in them. Jesus says, listen to what I'm saying. You know, Jesus was, was really good at taking large crowds and making them much smaller by saying things just like this. So much so that even like with the parable of the, sow, the sower and the seed, the disciples come back to him later and be like, Jesus, what are you talking about? What do you what did you mean by that? And he explains to them, he tells them what he means. Here, very blatant, very blunt, very upfront, Jesus says, Look, it's going to cost you a lot to follow me. And you've got to count that cost. Now, being eternally minded, you could say, Okay, I can follow Jesus, or I can reject Jesus. And rejection of Jesus not only leads to a life unfulfilled, but it leads to a life that will be spent in eternity in hell. If I look at eternity like that, the, ca the cost seems so small. If I, if I only look at it that way, it seems like a win-win for me. But Jesus is, is very, very honest with us. Look, you, you may have to forsake everything that you know to follow me. Many people have served Jesus faithfully without giving up everything. Giving up everything is not an indicator that we follow Jesus. Jesus is just being upfront. It may cost you that. It may cost you your family, and for some of you it has. Once you became a Christian, once you began to share the gospel, they no longer wanted to be around you. They no longer wanted to hear from you anymore. They no longer wanted to hear you talk about Jesus. And that was a cost of following Jesus. It was, it was more important to follow Christ than to uh, retain a relationship with somebody who couldn't appreciate and even uh, – not even just hear the gospel, but at least appreciate and tolerate the lifestyle that you'd chosen. There are some that 
They get called into the ministry. They go places, third world countries where it's hostile, and they lose their lives. They, they give up great wealth. They give up great professions to go serve people in places like Africa and, and the 1040 window, and, and, and they lose their lives because of it. And Jesus just says that that may be the cost. So discipleship, um, it, it sounds really good at first to be a you know, disciple of Jesus, but without really considering the cost, we go in uh, without all the information. And so we want to understand that there is a great cost, but greater than the cost is the reward. You see, salvation is free. We know that. It's not cheap. Grace is freely given to us. Um, so cheap, I'll call it, or so free that it only costs us our lives. You see, when we understand the equation here, where we die to ourselves, our old selves, that Jesus gives us a brand new life that can only be found in him, a life more abundant, well, we make out like bandits in that deal. I mean, we're just giving up this old crummy life so that we may receive the life that he has. It's a good deal. That in and of itself is a great reward. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we are told, and without faith it is impossible to please him, that is, that is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe, one, that he exists, and, and, and two, that he rewards those who seek him. First off, those who seek God are rewarded with God. They're rewarded with, with, with a life with him. And that in and of itself really is the greatest reward we could have. But then Jesus, being so gracious, he gives us other stuff. I gave my life to Jesus at 12, again at 18, and again at 24. Kind of came in waves. But at 24, I finally decided, it, it, or, or the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, however you want to talk, uh, you know, phrase that. But at that point, should had Jesus not given me anything else, I'd had everything. I had Jesus. But since then, I've had uh, three children in total, two that you know are still here with Ethan and Ellie, and, and, and that, wow, that, they're enough to fill my life with such great joy and reward. I, I did very little to bring them into this world, and I get to re enjoy and reap the, 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 the happiness that comes through them. I get to see them grow and say things and learn and experience and, and, and be funny, and, and, and just, I get to be a part of their life. What a great joy. Honestly, I know our weather is like the worst right now, and I say this with you know just leaving my house, being stuck in the in the ice and snow uh, that I couldn't move my car. But honestly, this is one of the most beautiful places of all of our country. When when summer and spring kind of roll around and you go out and you see the, the how green everything is. Where I came from in California, I didn't notice this until Sarah showed up. There was always this thick brown layer of smog everywhere. And you didn't see it right in front of you, but you always saw it in the distance. There'd always be these beautiful mountains just covered in this haze. And then Sarah got there. She's like, what's that? I'd seen this all my life. I, it was all white noise to me. I didn't, didn't even notice anymore. Oh, oh yeah. That's not, that's not, that, that's not that pretty. That's not very uh, photogenic. You know, that's just not very uh, good to look at. Come out here, I never see that. You know, drive through, you see just green everywhere. You know, it smell uh, after the after it rains, it smells good. You know, it's and even when it first starts to snow and it just kind of lands, and it's falling all majestically. It's just beautiful. What a great for me! It's a great joy to serve here, 
people every time I tell somebody they ask me where are you from, I'll say California. Well, what brought you here? It's always what they say. Like they look at me like I have a second head. Like you're the weirdest person. I know I'm here by I'm here, so to speak, by choice. But I consider it a privilege and a joy to be able to serve here. Um, that is great reward for me. You know, for me, getting to sleep in in the morning, that's a great reward. These are little tiny things. A great reward. You know, when, when my football team wins, great joy. Now, those, all, those are all tiny. But there is such great joy in, in winning someone to the Lord. Preaching the gospel discipling people, having church, meeting people who have been hurt by church in the past, and then having them come in and realize it wasn't Jesus that hurt me. It wasn't even the church that hurt me. It was just, it was people, people who hurt me. People coming in, and, and, and I see, uh, like on a Sunday morning, uh, I see two people who would never see each other outside of these walls, all of a sudden starting to become friends. You know, moms and dads and kids and, 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 and you know, young and old and everything. It just... Just kind of all coming together. It's beautiful. It's a great joy. When there's a, when there's a wonderful song, whether it's a worship song or not, just a wonderful song played. You just hear a melody or or an instrument. Oh man, how beautiful! What a great reward that is. That the Lord would give us hearing and sight and senses to 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 feel and experience things like music, or good food, or a good nap, or or teaching somebody about Jesus. Or bringing them, you know, being the one who's there with them when they finally give their life back to Christ. Because they've just, they've been like the prodigal son. They've wanted, you know, they've gone off into the world and they've wanted to, you know, they spent everything that they had and 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 want to just work and, and, and be with the pigs and, and see them come back to Jesus. I mean, what a great joy. Our theology and doctrine suffers when we only emphasize one or the other, either great suffering, uh, great cost rather, or, or the great reward. There are some that, that only focus on the reward. They never talk about the cost. There are some that only talk about the cost and never talk about the reward. You know, They always talk about the cost and you get the impression that being a Christian is not that fun. It just hurts all the time. You got those that talk about the reward all the time. And you think, oh, this is easy. Jesus is my big vending machine that just gives me everything that I want. I push B7 and I get the candy bar. It's, it's both. One or the other by themselves is, is an incomplete doctrine or theology, but both of them, there is a great cost and there is a great reward. That's the life of being a Christian. That's the life of being a disciple. So here's what we will learn about. This is just a, uh, a sampling, if you will, of some of the things we're going to learn about throughout the rest of the year, every Wednesday for the rest of the year. I'm hoping to have uh, other people teach uh, in my place, so it's not just always me or my perspective or what the Lord is wanting to say through me, but other men and women who want to teach, giving them opportunity to, uh, to preach and, and to share how they have been discipled and how they can disciple others. But there is, uh, we're going to talk about the Bible, uh, its origins, who wrote it, why it was written, the culture at the time of its writing, just so much why why it's only the Bible that we follow, why we consider that inspired of God and no other writings, why things like the, the Bible of the Church of the Latter-day Saints is not actually the Bible, why the Jehovah Witnesses Bible is not the Bible, 
why why other holy books like the Quran are not the Bible, they're not the holy word of God. We're going to talk about the Trinity. We're going to learn about this triune God whom we serve, uh, you know, three gods in one, uh, distinct yet yet one at the same time, um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, their functions and offices. We're going to talk about prayer. Now, a lot of people will say there's great power in prayer, and I don't think they even know what they're talking about. I, I, I've said it a multitude of times and sat back and go, what do I mean when I'm saying that? What? What I, honestly, for me, when I'm saying that, what I mean is that there's great power in the one I'm praying to. The, the God who I'm praying to is the most powerful, that there is no power even close to even resembling his power. The one that I pray to, the one that I seek, the one that I intercede uh, for others with uh, to, he possesses great power. We're going to talk about the church. You know, there's a lot of churches just in our area. There are churches, um, we went to a church on Sunday after this church, and it was probably three or four hundred years old. The church was just, it was beautiful, it was, it was a Methodist church, it was uh, just huge and amazing and wonderful, um, and, and it, was, it was cool to see their culture. It was cool to see how they, not that they had a church service, but they were, you know, a lot of the church was there. Uh, at this St. Baldrick's event, and they were uh, playing certain songs. They played some songs I hadn't heard in like 10 or 15 years, uh, simply because uh, they kind of made their way out of my playlist. And, and I remember Sarah and I talking about it on the ride home, how we hadn't heard that song in a long time. Um, the River of God, I don't know if you guys know that song. River of God sets a feet at dancing. I don't know if you guys know that song, but hadn't played that in a long time. It's just a fun song. Um, a, a big one, and what really... Um, kind of spurred uh this this class or this um uh this bible series is communion you know uh as a practice here at the chapel uh it's in our bylaws that we are to have communion once a month um and usually it's the last sunday of the month and and for me i haven't administered communion over the last couple of months because i feel as though there's a lot of folks here who don't even know what communion is they come up they get the grape juice they get the cracker and they don't really know why they're doing it and some feel obligated to do it but aren't really comfortable doing it but they do it anyways because other people are doing it and so i want to get to a place where people understand oh this is what communion is oh i see why we're taking the bread and the is the body and the blood or the the juice is the blood and and we're remembering christ and his sacrifice and we we are we are breaking bread we are having a meal together i mean it's not a huge meal give you that but it's a meal together where where we acknowledge and we accept and we understand that we are with Christ and he is with us we're going to talk about spiritual gifts and I, and I think our sermon this Sunday is going to be about spiritual gifts but we'll elaborate more um, because not any one week will be just one topic we might talk about the Bible for a month we might talk about communion for a month we might talk about church one night and that's it we'll, we'll kind of follow the Holy Spirit as we go along um talk about giving i praise god i don't know you know I, I look at gloria and vi and gladys i know you guys have been to other churches uh i i've only been to this church like faithfully and my church in california faithfully um and they couldn't be more different financially um neither one of them doing anything more right or more wrong than the other but this church we've always had a group of people whether there was 12 or 70 it's been a giving church. There, there's been times where I don't even understand 
how so much has been given. And I know most of the people here, very few people are quote-unquote wealthy. They'd be considered probably middle class at best in our society. But yet, give and give and give. We're not in debt. We don't owe a huge amount of money on a building. Some churches today can't even buy a building, uh, not because they don't have the money, but because the, the local codes and zoning and all that, it won't allow for them to build where they want to build. And so they have to have church in a gymnasium, or if they, they have to rent another person's church, or they have to uh, you know, uh, do it in a storefront or, or something like that. We are very blessed. In California, we never knew. We never knew at any given time if we were going to have enough money that month. Praise God, every month there was always enough. But it was vastly different. I praise God that, that we understand that we are to be giving, but I, wanna, I want us to know why we give. I want, I want people to give and be filled with such great joy that they were able to give, that, that they were allowed to give. That God, God welcomed them in and let them give into what we are doing here at the chapel. We're going to talk about serving. Serving is um, it's a lost art. There are people who are gifted to serve, and you watch them do it, and it's like, wow, like you, how did you do that? <laughs> like you are so gifted at serving. But then there are some who aren't gifted at it, but yet we still have to do it. You know, the command to, to serve uh, and to lead by serving is still there whether we have the gift of it or not. Uh, we're going to talk about music and worship and using music in worship. Um, some folks are very – not here. I haven't met anybody here, but some that I've met in the past have been very staunch about the style of worship that is acceptable before God, that there's only one particular uh, brand or flavor that God accepts. And if you're not playing that brand, flavor, or that type, well, then you're just not pleasing God. And so we want to get to the root of that. We want to know what it means to, to be a disciple and use music as a form of worship. And then reading. You know, we already talked about the Bible, but then reading things that are other than the Bible. You know, there's tons of books out there that are really good to read. Today I was online and I have my, my Kindle. And uh, there was a free Kindle book by A.W. Tozer called the, uh, the Pursuit of God. And I have the printed version, but I, it's free. <laughs> I'm going to get it just because I can. And I got it and put it on my my uh, Kindle, and uh, you know what what a great book. But how do you know that that's an okay like that's the type of book that I should read? Uh, it's not something detrimental. It's not something that leads me away from the faith. It's actually something that that is profitable to my life. It doesn't replace or supplant the Bible. It's something that can help me understand Jesus a little more. Um, we're going to discuss that as well. Stewardship. You know, we talked about giving, but what about stewarding? You know, what about stewarding the things that God has given us? You know, the, 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 the material things that we have, the family we've been given, the, the place that we live in. You know, there are some folks that you know, the, the world's going to be destroyed anyway, so I'll just help destroy it too. Well, is that, would God really want us to help destroy his creation? You know, should, should we be recycling? Should we be uh, going green, which is, you know, a fad or whatnot? But, but honestly, what about, what, how are we going to care for the things that God has, has given us, including the planet we live on? And so these are just some of the things um, that we're going to learn about when it comes to uh, being a disciple of Jesus. Um, there's no shortage of things that we can talk about because discipleship encompasses all of our lives. And I'm, I'm a big believer in teach a man to fish. 
rather than give a man a fish. Like I could, I could stand up here and tell you this is what you can and cannot do. But at the end of the day, there's going to be so many things that I, I could never account for. You know, what, so many things that you need to seek the Lord and and be in prayer about and get godly counsel for. I'd rather teach you how to seek God and become a disciple, a disciplined person, rather than just tell you what's right and wrong. And that's sort of our pursuit in all of this. Um, so the good news is, is that not only does it come with a cost, discipleship, not only does it come with a cost, but it comes with great reward. We get both. And it only costs us the things that we really don't need or want anyways, and we only keep reaping from God great things. You know, e even when we go through things like... Um, like cancer or sickness or illness, God brings such a reward through that that we could not receive any other way. Um, I'm going to paraphrase. I don't know exactly where the scripture is, but Peter tells Jesus, you know, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus tells him that there is none that will not be repaid, I think it's something like a hundredfold, in this lifetime. I mean, it's easy as a minister to stand back and say, oh, eternity and uh, four square you know uh, uh, kingdom of God and streets of gold and pearly gates and, and talk about then but but Jesus says no no it begins now eternal life the, the reward that we're that we are promised begins today not not some date after we die it's not like we, we only suffer from here on out we have a great cost that we pay but there's a great reward as well and so that produces great joy. That produces a life that, that honestly, when folks look at us, they don't understand. You know, when you when you suffer, I always remind when I suffer, I'm always reminded of the story in Luke chapter nine where a blind man is healed by Jesus, and um, before he's healed, you know, everybody's asking, well, why is he blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Because somebody must have done something wrong for God to strike him uh, blind. And Jesus says, no, neither one of them sinned. No, nobody did anything to make this kid blind. But he was, he's gone through this so that the power of God might be exemplified. And so 21 men are beheaded by ISIS. Why are they beheaded? So that God might be glorified in it. Someone gets the diagnosis of cancer. Why do they receive cancer? So that God might be glorified in it. So that others might watch you suffer through it with a smile on your face, with great joy that comes only from the Lord, and he might be glorified. You know, the mathematics of it all and how it all happens, I don't know. But I do know this, that just like this blind man was born blind, it wasn't because he made a choice. It wasn't because his parents made a choice, right or wrong. It was so that Jesus might be glorified. We become disciples so that Jesus might be glorified. We don't become disciples. We don't become moralistic. We don't become religious so that we look really good. We follow Jesus, become his disciples, that he might be glorified. There's no greater reason or purpose to do anything than the glorification of Jesus.